welcome and worship and welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church in our chapel this summer. Our first hymn this morning is about worship and about worshiping God. I particularly love the fourth stanza of it that says, frail children of dust. That would be you and me. Because every Ash Wednesday in this sanctuary, in this chapel, when we have the Ash Wednesday service, we always sing this hymn. It reminds us who we are and our dependence on God. Frail children of dust and feeble as frail, in thee do we trust, nor find thee to fail. Thy mercies, how tender, how firm to the end, our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. Let's stand together and sing. come to worship bringing our joy we come to worship bringing our grief we turn aside from the distractions of our daily striving we rest in the eternal love of god as we affirm god's love we confess our inadequacy at loving we have not loved neighbors or enemies for ourselves as Christ has commanded. We confess our sins and shortcomings. We ask God to forgive us. 
we pause for a moment of silent confession. Sisters and brothers, God has baptized us in grace. Let us live large lives in God's love. God has forgiven us. Let us lift our voices in praise to God. Welcome again to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church. If you are new among us, we meet in the chapel for the summer. It's uh, a place that's a little more intimate than the bigger sanctuary. We can hear each other singing and uh, we can hear each other's heartbeat. So welcome to the worship of God. Especially if you're a guest here today, there is on the edge of your order of service a welcome card you'd take a moment and fill that out. It'll help me connect name and face with you. And then drop that in the offering plate when it's passed. And for anyone here who would like to be prayed for this week, uh, it is an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for you by name and by need. And we do that every week. So if you would like to place a prayer request, do that on the card and drop that again in the offering plate. So again, it's good to have all of you here. Uh, I see Marina, Maria Christina Schrader here today, um, all grown up. But, but if you want to come forward for the time with the children, <laughs> that's how we remember you, you know. So, uh, so I'm glad, glad you're here, Jonathan's here, we're here. Uh, welcome. As we listen to the text read today, I'll be preaching from the first text we will hear in just a moment. It's from the prophet Amos, one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And if you'll see on your order of service, this long column here, you'll recognize it from our uh, uh, sanctuary. It's the faceted glass window that we call the prophet's window. And up near the top, uh, go down about, let's see, about two inches, and you will see there, you have to look for it, a yellow hand, it's a right hand, holding onto a red cord with a white bulb at the bottom. That's a plumb line. And that was Amos's vision of God, that God was standing by the wall there in the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, holding a plumb line in judgment of the consequences of the sins of Israel. So that's what I'm going to be preaching about, so listen for that. 
Uh, Dr. Priscilla Eppinger is our uh, worship leader today. Daniel Hedrick and Jenny are on retreat uh, this weekend at the Monastery of the Holy Spirit in Conyers. The text you're about to hear is a little bit difficult to follow, but it starts with that vision of uh, Amos seeing God holding the plumb line. But then there is a rascal in it, uh, Amaziah, who is the high priest who's colluding with the king, who's a tattletale, goes and tattles on Amos to the king. Then the next scene is where Amos and Amaziah are talking, where Amos is talked down to. And then Amos claims his own self and voice. And it's one of those wonderful, powerful texts in the Old Testament. And then he says, and this is the word of the Lord. So let us open our hearts and our ears as we hear this word read. Welcome. A prophet delivers the word that God has judged Israel because of their sins, and their exile is coming. A reading from the book of Amos, chapter 7, beginning with the seventh verse. This is what I saw. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, see, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to King Jeroboam of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you, in the very center of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, Earn your bread there and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered Amaziah, I am no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I am a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. And the Lord took me from following the flock. And the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now hear, therefore, the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Your wife shall become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, 
and your land shall be parceled out by line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. Here ends the first lesson. Will you pray with me? Giver of life, it is hard to hear words of judgment. It is perhaps even harder to recognize the moments when we ourselves are being judged and found wanting. Hear our prayers for those who have sought refuge in the United States, for those who fear deportation to dangerous and violent places. Hear our prayers for those responsible for caring for, for advocating for, and for processing those who have entered this country without authorization. Hear our prayers for those who have not left their countries, but who live in fear, who live in danger, who live in want. For people in the Congo, in Sudan, in Syria, in Yemen, the people of Libya, of El Salvador and Honduras and Guatemala, and in so many other places around the world. Hear our prayers for those who are in our country who also experience poverty, violence, and discrimination. When you hold that plumb line, oh, may we be found straight and upright and not wanting. Here are prayers for those who are in the path of Tropical Storm Barry, especially the people of Louisiana and Mississippi. And here are prayers for those who are rebuilding their lives after natural disasters including the people of Puerto Rico, who two years later still need help rebuilding. We pray for those who are suffering, for those whose health is a concern, who are waiting for diagnosis, undergoing treatment, for those who are in recovery, for those who are facing death. Hear our prayers for those among us with family problems and relationship difficulties. For those who are worried about their job. For those facing big decisions and needing guidance. We rejoice this morning, O giver of life. We rejoice in new life in births and babies 
and for the birthdays that mark anniversaries of those births. We rejoice in weddings and unions and relationships and for the anniversaries that mark those occasions. We rejoice at all sorts of good news and we give thanks that we can share that with one another. Holy God, we pray that we might be bearers of light and life and reconciliation, countering forces of darkness in our world. We pray that we might bring healing to a broken world. We pray that we might be the neighbors when those are in need of neighbors. Hear our prayers, for we bring them to you through Christ Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. God's love prompts the congregation. We give thanks and pray for one another, a reading from the letter of Paul to the Colossians. In our prayers, we have always thanked God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the, world, in the word of truth and the gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing among the whole world, it is also bearing fruit and growing among you. You have learned this lesson from Ephraim, our fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to you your love in the Spirit. For this reason, and from, from, since the day we have heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may leave lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in knowledge of the God. May you be strong with all your strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints and the light. He has rescued you from the power of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. Here ends the second lesson. I'd like to invite all the children to come forward at this time. Right there. <laughs> You're Maria. I'm Andrea. Nice to meet you. Y'all come on. 
Come a little closer. Come on, Leah. You gonna sit by Miss Maria and Avery? Come on. You can come sit with us. Okay, so this morning, oh, thank you for your offering. This morning, we are going to talk a little bit about right and wrong. Does that sound good or bad to you? Not sure? Not sure about which one? Well, sometimes right and wrong is a good thing, and sometimes right and wrong can be a bad thing. How do you know what's right, and how do you know what's wrong? Does somebody tell you, like your mom or your dad? What do you think, Avery? It's a good thing to not get lost at an airport. That's true. That is okay. That's good. Okay. Avery, what, how do you know what's right and wrong? Oh, she said if you think about it and ask somebody, I think definitely you can know what's right and wrong. Hey, have you ever, um, have you ever taken a test at school? Have you, look, Miss Andrea took a math test last night. I got Mr. Norm to give it to me, and then I marked it with a red pen. And so there's a lot of red on here, isn't there? Miss Andrea is not great at math. See, the, the red pen helped me, <laughs> the red pen helped me know what was right and wrong. Sometimes teachers can tell us. They'll mark and say, that's wrong. They'll put an X on it or put a check on it, and that's right. Well, today, Pastor James is going to teach us about, he's going to talk to us about a man from the Bible who was a prophet, and his name was Amos. Can you say Amos? Amos. And he had a special way to tell about making things right. And Pastor James is going to tell us about that now. Yeah, let go so he can tell us. That's right. (laughs) And I am going to talk to you about, you can turn around and look at me over here. Look at Pastor James. And this is a plumb line. Can y'all say plumb line? Plumb line. You'll need that to be able to uh, win at the sermon bingo uh, <laughs> yep. that you'll be, be That's playing. right here. you got to take one with I'm, you I'm, so I'm you can kidding. listen up, okay? Bingo. Uh, and so uh, there's the plumb line. You know what it does? It measures how straight things are up and down. Like, if you could come up here and stand, put, the, put your back to me, and stand tall and straight, nice straight, and straight as you can. There you go. Let me take this plumb line. Let's see. Does he look? Does he look like he's standing pretty straight? Looks like he's standing pretty straight. Let me bring over here. What do you think, Leah? Is he standing up pretty straight? Okay. Now slouch down, kind of like that. (laughs) All right. I'm going to hold it up. Does it look like he's standing straight? No, it doesn't. Let me hold it over here and let everyone else see. No, you're kind of bent over like that. But when Amos in the Bible had this vision of God, he saw God holding a plumb line to see if the people were standing up like they should. And it helped them know right and wrong. Right, Miss Andrea? That's right. right. That's exactly what he did. And he heard, he used what he heard from God to help the people of Israel know right and wrong. So let's say a little prayer about that. Let's all close our eyes. Dear God, thank you for helping us know right from wrong. And thank you for helping to send people to us who can help show us your right and your wrong. Help us to live as you want us to live. In your name we pray. Amen. Now here's a bingo if y'all want to go listen up to what Pastor James is saying about Amos. Here's some stickers if you want to mark it. You got
Jesus is tested by the definition of neighbor. However, Jesus expands it by telling the parable of the Good Samaritan, a reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them, then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three, do you think, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I mentioned a few moments ago, this is Plumbline. It is a construction tool. In fact, it is the simplest of construction tools. What it does is define verticality. It was used in building the pyramids, and it's being used pretty much these days unless lasers have replaced it. Wednesday at the Bible study, Charlton Roberts, who has been a construction engineer, said it was his job to measure the plumb, the plumb line, of when they would build a building with deep columns into the ground. He said he would go to the bottom of the column, they would let down the plumb line, and the deepest he had been was 120 feet. And so at the bottom of 120 feet, he would see if indeed it was plumb and if it were off more than one degree. That mean it, it means it wasn't up to code and everything had to be redone. That's a lot of power in a string with a weight on the bottom of it. Plumb, as I understand it, comes from a French word meaning lead weight. 
Uh, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, that sunk like lead. Or in our phrase, uh, that went over like a lead balloon. It's used to build back in ancient days and in these days. And the text opens with this image. The image of a vision that Amos has of God holding a plumb line. And the sermon is about that. Now for me, Bible stories encourage my courage. Or either diagnose my lack of it. Maybe for you too. These are polarizing times and anxiety has cul-de-sacked all of us into warring tribes and siloed our perspectives and our capacity for conversation. If I had a nickel for the times that each of you have told me, pray for me this weekend, I'm going to a family reunion, and we know what topics to avoid, especially if Uncle So-and-so is there. Yeah. My family, too, especially Liz's family. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, and you're probably swinging a plumb line, too. Uh, Let's see, where was that? The Word of God here. Um, Now, for me, Bible stories exercise my soul. They help me think through my life. And they feed my relationship or with God, or at least my struggling match with God. They storify, and that's a real word. They storify how people of faith of years gone by struggled with the problems of their times and with the God of all time. Current issues flood our lives like the daily newspaper or your computer news feed. They come like currents of wind and water that are flooding New Orleans even now. A short list of concerns would be perhaps these. The voting availability for all citizens. The difficulty of capturing in law the ethical complexity of abortion. A line I took from the Christian century of two weeks ago. Or the nuances of people's circumstances and moral and medical condition. And then immigration, and the immigration system, and the response to refugees. The census, gun violence, concern for or lack thereof regarding the environment. The delicate balance of the expression of religious liberty while practicing religious responsibility in all relationships. The importance of charity, but its differentiation from justice. You know, I I love to take my stuff to goodwill. Uh, It makes me feel so good to give away those, but sometimes leisure suits are going to come back. And uh, I will have wished I kept them along with my wide ties. But this is part of our tension. Charity, the importance of charity, but its differentiation from justice. For injustice maintains the systems that require, <coughs> require charity. The Good Samaritan is only part of the story. What about helping out the Jericho Road and ridding it of thieves? And then there is America's original sin, which is slavery, and the invisible walls and ceilings of privilege. Now, these are anxious topics. I know just saying the words 
makes us uneasy, and you're hoping that I'll move on quickly. I believe that these are topics that need to be wrestled with, not in church, because church is not first a building, right? They're not wrestled with in church, but wrestled with as church, the people of God. It seems to me that the church incorporated is as anxious as everybody else. I was talking with a Jewish man two weeks ago, and he was saying that Judaism, from his perspective, has become as polarized as America, with no in, with, with all on the ends, either orthodox or liberal reform, but there's no middle left. Churches seem to be more vulnerable and frail to the same thing. And this anxiety and fragility puts a burden on congregations because the job of the church is not to make us feel good. Now, maybe that is collateral gift, but it's not the job of church to make us feel good. The job of church is to help us follow Jesus. And it takes a faithful, though always struggling community, a community of faith to do this. In other words, I believe there's no such thing as solo disciples. Now, when Amos called out the issues of his day, they weren't the ones that I itemized a moment ago. They were others, but they are close. And the similarity, two things. One, who holds the plumb line, that'd be God, and who controls the land that the plumb line touches. This text is hard work for me, this character with character, the prophet Amos. The text can't be reduced to the repetitive lyrics of a praise song or simple sermons for simple minds. Sanctuaries are construction sites. So, get out your hard hat, slip on your steel-toed boots, bring along your tool belt, and we have the work to do. As a long bridge, you have to admit, from 8th century uh, modern or 8th century northern Israel all the way to Atlanta's north end of the perimeter. Given the frustrations with our work-life balance, from carpools to conference rooms, the old book with a pending invasion by Assyria 2,700 years ago doesn't seem very important on our triage list. But the connections are there if you watch for them. There are two. Here they are. The first is, the plumb line reveals that the playing field is uneven. The ground is not level. By the time this story comes about that Priscilla read earlier, Israel was split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Now, both kingdoms, north and south, as told by the prophets, had compromised their place of God in their lives, and that led to their downfall. The northern kingdom fell around 521 BCE. This is about 10 years, 20 years before that, that Amos showed up prophesying to them, but it was 20 years later, they were consumed by the superpower of Assyria. Amos tried to warn them, but the warning went unheeded. Now, here's how Elizabeth Ockmeyer, a scholar of a few years past who died a few years ago, described it. She said, at first, Assyria was busy fighting other countries, And that left Israel to prosper enriching its economy with trade and commerce. 
The result was a growing upper class of luxury, Amos chapter 6. But they were totally indifferent to the plight of the poor, Amos chapter 7. While engaging in elaborate but superficial worship practices, Amos 4 and 5, the rich increased their wealth by expropriating the land of the poor debtors and enslaving them, chapter 2 and chapter 8. The poor got little justice in courts, chapter 5, and conspicuous consumption characterized their lifestyles, close quote. This is the situation that Amos went north to preach about. You see, he was a southerner. He was from Tekoa, not Tekoa, Georgia, but Tekoa, Judah. T-E-K-O-A is how it's transliterated. And he was called by God away from shepherding the sheep and tending the sycamore trees. And those aren't sycamores like I used to crawl in and build tree houses in. Those are more like mulberry bushes that uh, had to be harvested. God called him from there to cross the line, to cross that line of demarcation to go to the north and preach. He envisioned a plumb line and reveals an uneven playing field that the rich and the poor played in that northern territory. Now, kind of stepping back from the seriousness and all my reading of uh, the sermon today, I kept thinking about, you got to know the territory. you got to know the territory. Remember that line? It's from Music Man. You may have been in Music Man. You may have played Harold Hill in Music Man, Keith. <laughs> but I, I kept thinking of that line. I, I bet Steve Sheely did. And, and let him know that I called his name today and he's not here. I bet he played Harold Hill. Do you remember when all the traveling salesmen are riding on the train coming into town? I bet if Amos were written for the musical stage, they would all be traveling preachers and prophets riding on the train. And they would be chanting back and forth to each other. The wealthy are fat, the poor are thin, and the thing that rampant is sin, sin, sin. But there's money to be made if you're in, in, in with the king. With the king. What do you preach? What do you preach? What do you preach? What do you preach? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, what do you preach? Knowing that the territory, you got to know the territory, is to know that religion and its ministers have been complicit in this mess. I've learned working with a lawyer here up every day to use a lot of legal terms, like aiding and abetting, and I share with that information with you uh, pro bono. The ministers in the northern kingdom were complicit in this mess. It is a a classic collusion, not collision, but collusion of church and state. The high priest has become the king's yes man and vice versa. We've heard it said that power corrupts, but I say it first seduces. And every preacher up and down Northside Drive or Peachtree can tell you about that tug of that gravity well when politicians want you to be a part of the story. My Uncle Bill, blessed Uncle Bill, died in November 2002. Hard to believe, 17 years ago uh, he died. But because of his job uh, with Presbyterian News Service and Presbyterian Survey Magazine, he knew a lot of uh, important people. One of them was Billy Graham. And Uncle Bill, I remember him telling me several times, 
I tried to tell Billy Graham to stay away from Richard Nixon. <laughs> Uncle Bill didn't need to open his mouth very much when he spoke. I tried to tell him that he ought to stay away from Nixon, but he wouldn't listen to me. He later regretted it. And I was reading a few years before Billy Graham died. Someone asked him about it, and he said, I'm grateful for the opportunities God gave me to minister to people in high places. People in power have spiritual and personal needs like everyone else. But, says Billy Graham, looking back, I know I sometimes crossed that line and would not do it now. Some of you have heard the Nixon tapes and know that Billy Graham is on the Nixon tapes. I appreciate him making that confession. One thing I've always admired about Judaism is that it has built into the religion a natural corrective called the prophet. The prophet serves as the immune system when things get out of plumb. And the prophet walks in and speaks the word of the Lord. If the priest's sin is to enmesh with people, the prophet's job is to do an intervention. The first thing is the revelation of the plumb line, and he lets them know that the playing field that they have created is not level. Here's the second thing. The second thing is about Amos is you got to know who holds the plumb line. It's not the one who thinks he's God. It's God who holds the plumb line. Into Amos's world authorized injustice. Amos the prophet walked armed with a sermon as simple as a plumb line. It gave him x-ray vision to see the invisible cultural structures of oppression. His vision, though, is expensive. He's harassed by the king's priest, Amaziah. Go back down, boy. You can almost hear the accent of his voice. You go on back down and take that vision with you to the south and don't come back to Bethel no more. Yeah. You can hear the derogatory and the bullying that he is doing. But, but Amos won't take it. I read on the Wednesday Bible study some from the John Hayes commentary that he put together, our own John Hayes who taught at Emory uh, University years ago. He and Fred Craddock and, a, and two others, one named Gene Tucker. Gene Tucker wrote the Old Testament text, and I loved it in there. He says, uh, Amaziah was accusing Amos of being an outside agitator. Now, that word agitator rings for me. Does it ring for you? I mean, as a kid growing up in the 50s and early 60s, there would, always, there would be these uh, uh, southern leaders uh, from all the southern states speaking as talking heads on the television, and they would say, well, the only problem here is that we have too many of these northern agitators. In other words, there would be no problem if they had not pointed out the problem, these political leaders in the South. The accusation against Amos was that you have rocked the boat. But Amos fires back, no, you've drilled a giant hole in the boat. It doesn't need rocking for it to sink. Amos stands his ground. Did you hear that? I am neither a prophet nor a son of the prophet. In other words, there were prophetic guilds in that day, professional preachers, as some of us might be, but 
He said, I'm just a layman. I'm neither a prophet nor a son of a prophet. I am a shepherd and an orchard keeper of sycamore trees. And the Lord took me from one flock and repurposed me for this flock. Not of the guild, not of a seminary degree. I'm just a deacon shepherding sheep. I was a Sunday school teacher, and God called me to come preach. The way that I would say this is, however you want to say it, the result, I think, is the same. God, who's the God up above, wham, sending the judgment. That's not my image. My image is naming the consequences that they had already set in motion. Right? That God is as present with them here as there, up above, down below, but they had set these in motion. When I think about Amos and his prophesying, I think about uh, a friend who died just last year, uh, Bishop Bev, Bev Jones. Uh, you remember Bev Jones, don't you, Ken? He used to be pastor down Northside Methodist. He was the bishop of North Georgia. He was part of Emory University and Candler School of Theology. And back when he and I were trying to reboot the Christian Council of Atlanta, we went around and did these uh, rainmaking times. And I was always the warm-up guy. And he was the headliner. Some of you are personal friends with Bev Jones, I know. And I would always get up and say, and now I want to introduce someone who needs no introduction. What he needs is a conclusion. <laughs> and he would get up and hit the ball back, and it was wonderful. Gary Hawk, who has been the university historian at Emory, senior editorial consultant for their Center for Study of Religion and Law, wrote his obituary. And he said, I remember how skilled Bev Jones was at being in contentious moments. For instance, like being uh, on the um, Emory board. He said there were plenty of Methodist bishops around the Emory board, but an occasional rabbi or someone else would be there to offer a prayer at the Emory board meeting. And there was a new Episcopal, Episcopalian, he just says, who was called on to pray one time, and uh, it was prayed like this, and all this we pray in the name of Jesus the Christ. Now, Gary Hawk said, as he and Bev walked for a coffee break, Bevel Jones pulled him aside and said, I'm going to have to speak to our friend. He said, I myself pray in the name of Jesus Christ too, but not when we have Jewish trustees present in this setting. It is disrespectful. Gary Hawk said, Bev, search consistently for the commonalities that bind us together rather than the differences that divide us. Like when he was called on to pray at the 1988 Democratic National Convention held here in Atlanta. Bev Jones prayed, and he prayed this, God, we ask not that you bless what we do, but that we do what you can bless. And in Canon Chapel, just a little few years before his death, he prayed, or he said, nothing is as uninteresting as a religious moralist, always on the side of angels, but never willing to fight the devil. We must take sides on moral issues of the moment, and our ideas must be linked to actions that address specifics and tangibles. My money, Bev Jones, like Amos, was a person with 
a plum, pardon the pun, he knew who holds the plumb line, and that would be God. The prophet Amos claimed his voice. And I confess that that is hard for me to do. It's been a lifelong hard journey for me. My preacher boy, Ilk, always sounded more like an echo than a voice the first part of my life. My DNA is a need to please, and it's also been muted by the prophetic side of the pastor's double helix. I'm to be prophetic as well as priestly, to see the uneven playing field and name it, as well as remind who holds the plumb line. Somehow Amos was able to be a missionary to the north, like we of Northside Drive Baptist Church, as we do on our better days here in Buckhead, that we are an outpost of God's inclusive realm where all are welcomed and all may participate on equal footing as recipients and as leaders, even though it can cost us. The plumb line is not how we are compared with other congregations. The plumb line is defined by who holds the plumb line and who holds us and what we do with our lives, which we hold in our hands. Amen. It is our tradition that when a word is offered, an invitation for dedication and invitation is given. And the song that we sing as a part of this today comes from the prophetic tradition of the servant of the prophet who could not see the help of God out there. And the prayer was made, God open his eyes that he may see. And God does so. And he sees the presence of God with him on his journey. Let us do the same and stand together and sing.
all but one. We have here today uh, Reverend Posey Starkey, whom all of you know. Uh, you're coming to make a confession today, yes, is that right? Well, uh, we don't have that much time. Oh. <laughs> so don't get him started, Keith. Oh. <laughs> However, he joined us uh, about two years ago, maybe? Two and, a half. two and a half years ago, but said, I want to join as an associate member, not as a full member because of a uh, different situation. But uh, that situation has changed. And he said, I want to join as a full member so I can get to vote against something. (laughs) And so uh, uh, he had told me this a few weeks ago, but his health has not been well. But you're healthy enough to be here today. So if you join with me in welcoming Posey as a full member of Northside Drive, would you lift a hand? And look at those hands. There you go. Thank you. And with those hands come our love and our prayers and our joy that you have shared your story with us and that we're sharing all of our story together now. Amen. Right, God bless you. Thanks. Well, we probably could have taken care of that without you watching, but it's more celebrative if we did. So thank you for letting us uh, celebrate you. Since Daniel is gone, uh, let me share a few things that as a family gathers around a table, there's always uh, good news about. Uh, Haven't our church school times been filled with gravitas this summer, especially as Larry McSwain presented today on his friend uh, Jimmy Allen? And on the front cover of our pinnacle, and there's some in the little narthex there and in this hallway that you get in the mail, It shows that next week, uh, Pamela Durso, uh, who's with Baptist Women in Ministry, will be presenting. And so, if you haven't been a part of that, plan on being it. It, It's it's deep and good. Remember, and this is in the pinnacle as well, the Habitat Build is coming up on uh, August the 3rd, right, Dave? And information is there of how to sign up, how to prepare for it. It, It's a great day of uh, being together. There will not be a lemonade stand today. All of our kids are still vacationing and uh, doing various things, so no lemonade today. (laughs) Life gives you lemons. Sometimes there's no lemonade. That's just the way it is. We pray for one another, especially those of us who have family and friends in Louisiana as the storm comes aground and goes all the way through into the north part of the state. So we hold one another in prayer. This time we have the gift of song, and I'm going to call on these two that bring it. Would you come and share the song with us?
All-loving God, for the harmony of all men and for the fireworks of, of uh, Johnny and Heather and the reminder of the power of the light of love, we are so grateful. Receive these tithes and offerings. Use them to bless and keep the spark going all week long. In Christ's good name we pray. Amen. And so, as you prepare to go, remember this. May the strength of Christ uplift you, the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround you, and the grace and mercy of God give you hope and give you courage this day and every day as we prepare to go in peace. Amen.